Uh, breaking. Starbucks has just fired a number of pro-union organizers in its Memphis store, purportedly for a violation of company policies. Starbucks Workers United tells us that it plans to file an unfair labor practice charge with the National Labor Relations Board. More to come. So obviously there's been a lot of momentum, Steve, uh, after the first Starbucks won a union in Buffalo. I had gone, status quo had gone to Buffalo as they were working, as they were organizing to win that union election. They did win. And now you've had 60 some odd stores file for a union from Starbucks. This Memphis store was one of those stores. So let me just read some of the press release. Uh, this is from uh, Starbucks Workers United, which is the union. Today, Starbucks corporate fired almost the entire union organizing committee at the Poplar, Poplar and Highland store in Memphis. As of 2.30 Eastern, seven workers have been fired. This is approximately 35% of the workforce at the Highland and Poplar store. Quote, I was fired by Starbucks today for policies that I've never heard of before and that I've never been written up about before, said Nikki Taylor, a shift supervisor at the Poplar and Highland store. Quote, this is a clear attempt by Starbucks to retaliate against those of us who are leading the union effort at our store and scare other partners. Starbucks will not get away with this. The entire country will uh, country will be outraged. Uh, Starbucks partners were inspired to unionize and launch their campaign on Dr. Martin Luther King Day uh, because they are carrying on Memphis workers' tradition of fighting union busting and seeking social justice. And uh, uh, whatever, for whatever this is worth, uh, the Tennessee Democratic Party, <laughs> uh, the Tennessee Democratic Party <laughs> tweeted out, tw nice tweet. This is illegal. Workers have the right to organize and form a union at Starbucks. These workers have even fewer protections than they would in other states because Tennessee is a, quote, right to work state. Uh, thanks to the Tennessee uh, Republican Party, we support Starbucks Workers United. Okay, so we got the uh, tweet from the Democratic Party of Tennessee. Uh, I mean, this is pretty blatant. It seems that Starbucks, I don't know all the details, coming up with some bullshit reason to say they breach company policy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because obviously there's now 60-something stores that have filed a union. So Starbucks is kind of doing whatever they can, I guess, to slow down the momentum, intimidate. What's your takeaways? You know, I, I fully suspect that what's going to end up happening is that these guys are going to have to take legal action. They're going to have to take them to court. There's no getting around it because corporations are going to do everything they can to shut down any form of workers uh, cooper you know, cooperating together uh, in fighting for their own benefits. And, and I don't believe a nascent union, a, a brand new union, will have the chops with having someone coming in there to really help them overcome this uh because that this, they're hitting them now while they're weak while they're just getting started uh quite purposefully right they they don't want to see any kind of traction here so without having something like that they're going to keep getting fired this is and it's almost impossible to prove that they did something illegal that they did something first of all it's a right to work state so psh, they don't even have any rights. I mean, they're literally an at-will employee from day one. So they don't right. really have any need to even tell them why they're fired. They could just let them go. I mean, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, and I also think uh, from Starbucks' perspective, because you have to think about the corporate villain's perspective, even if in the short term, let's say they lose or they have to pay whatever fine to the National Labor Relations Board. When we say illegal, these corporations never actually go to jail. So look at the 
entire banking, all the banks that literally tanked the global financial system. No one went to jail. They they paid fines. So I think what Starbucks is viewing viewing it as is all right, whatever. We'll just break the law here because there's no criminal penalty for corporate villains. Uh, whatever. Maybe there will be a fine, but the benefit will be greater because we'll be able to chill the workers and all these other Starbucks stores that are just starting to get going, starting to get that solidarity feeling. I mean, Colin, if you have the tweet, uh, Texas is on the map. 68 Starbucks stores in 20 states have now filed to unionize. So this is Texas is now uh, a Texas Starbucks is now filing to unionize. That makes 68 Starbucks stores in 20 states. So I really think what Starbucks is trying to do is chill these workers in other Absolutely. in other states. Uh, I mean, not all those states are right to work. Some might be a little more fertile ground to a unionization can, but let's be let's be real. Even Democratic states. I mean, we live in the United Corporations of America. The de Democratic states are not like, yeah, yeah, pro act, you know, yeah, yeah, unions. They're sending tweets in support. So to me, <laughs> that's what's going on here. Starbucks is trying to whatever. We'll deal with the consequences of breaking the law here. If we could put the fear of God in our associates. Or, no, they call them partners in other cities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many how many other uh, places are unionized? Would you say 60, 70 or something to that effect? Six. I mean, well, uh, 68 have filed now for a union. They're, they're now filing exactly. for a union. They, they are like public enemy number one to that corporation they are going to do everything they can to send every possible message they can that if you do this you're going to be out of work and a lot of people we already talked about that yesterday a lot of people cannot suffer through being out of work they're going to literally be uh, put to the test day one so I, I hope they're smart enough to have mutual aid and things like that set up on the back end, be working with other groups, mutual aid organizations, so that they can get through these lean times while they're trying to get off the ground. Because that right there will kill it dead in its tracks because people will, they'll break rank quick, especially those people that don't have anything saved up for a rainy day. But people need to be able to have like food support as well. I mean, there needs to be, you know, the 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 food drive. There needs to be other things like clothing and things like that. Because, I mean, I have no idea what a Starbucks worker makes, and because I know it varies widely depending upon what region of the country they're in. But regardless, though. I mean, you've got to make sure people have what they need. And that it really is, if you've ever been on a union line yourself, like as one of the people, the pressure you feel to both support the workers, support your fellow uh, union uh, people on one hand, while simultaneously looking back at your family and knowing that they need you to make money. They need you to feed the kids. They need you to do these things and balancing that out. I mean, there needs to be some real serious forethought. Maybe this is something that the activist community could take upon themselves to reach out to these people and build stuff like this, because this right here, I know for a fact, I mean, I remember sitting there both as a management employee at Verizon and a union craftsperson at Verizon, both sides of that game. And, and when the time came for me to go on the strike line as a strike captain, sitting there you watch the people cross the line they're good friends of yours they're people that you've had over to your house and you know damn well that they're really struggling they're not just doing it because they're greedy they're doing it because they don't have any options and so 
thank God our union was supportive of everyone, even the people that crossed the line. We knew there were going to be people that did it and we didn't, we didn't judge them. We, we fought for what we stood for, but those few that had to cross, we kind of understood their situation. But when you went into management, that was a weird thing. Now, all of a sudden you're getting back into the bucket truck with your tools on and you're watching the people that you used to work with that you're now manager of watching them give you the finger and tell you to F yourself. And just knowing that you have to go over that line to stay employed yourself because management is at will as well, right? These aren't rich people. The management, what you take a look, I bet your managers don't make much more than a, a regular service rep somewhere. I mean, you know, they're not rich guys. These people are making sub six figures. They're not making big money. So they've got the same issues too. And they got a gun to their head that if they don't cross the picket line, that they're going to lose their job. So the interesting right. thing would be to redefine what I think labor is. And remember that anybody that has to go to work for a paycheck is labor. And, and that means management as well as craft. And somehow or right. if we could put together that kind of mutual aid to bring the management forces into the fold, I think you might really, really be able to change this country. So how much do you think, how much do you think in general uh, an Amazon corporate person makes? I don't know. What do you think? Probably 100000 a year? 100. 160,000 150 is the as the is the average 160 is the average for an Amazon worker who's in corporate and tech. So, wow. you know, of course, of course they can't live off that. They can't live off that. These Amazon corporate <laughs> and tech workers, while the actual warehouse workers that are actually producing the labor and making all the money for Jeff Bezos to put his dick, you know, shuttle his dick rocket to space, uh they are pissing in bottles, shitting in bags. Uh, I've met I've met ones that are homeless. Well, it's been announced. Amazon is raising its base salary to three hundred fifty thousand dollars for corporate and tech workers. Amazon will raise its maximum base pay for corporate and tech workers to three hundred fifty thousand from one hundred sixty thousand. The move is intended <laughs> to bring Amazon in line with competitors like Google, Facebook, Apple, and Microsoft, and to help ensure the company retains employees and recruits top talent. The war for tech talent has seen average tech salaries exceeding six figures for the first time last year. So wow. what's interesting about that, let's juxtapose that. Now you have Jeff Bezos is literally in the Netherlands, okay? Uh, thousands of Dutch vow to pelt Jeff Bezos's super yacht <laughs> with rotten eggs. Have you heard this? So yeah. Dutch prep... Pre Dutch preservationists said they will bombard Jeff Bezos' super yacht with rotten eggs if the city of Rotterdam follows through with reported plans to, dismiss it, to dismantle a section of a 140-year-old bridge to make way for the Amazon founder's 500 million vessel. So on one hand, we have Amazon tech and corporate workers. They weren't making enough, so now we're going up to 150 grand. Excuse me, 300, 350 grand for them. Um, and Jeff Bezos needs to destroy a historical bridge to get his yacht through. Uh, I want to remind everybody, let's play a clip from my interview with an Amazon worker a couple months ago. Here's how some of the Amazon workers in New York are living. The PR that Amazon puts out there, you get all these commercials that are rainbows, rainbows and sunshines, and they're helping people through school, and it's, it's wonderful being an Amazon worker. Well, 
there's a lot of people that are homeless Amazon workers. Right. There's, I mean, at last count, there were about over 100 cars in this outside parking lot and the inside parking lot, the covered multi-layer lot behind me. And they're there 24-7, including on the holidays, uh, like on Christmas and New Year's Day when there aren't that many people here. Uh, they're here 24-7. And I, I feel for them, just, I'm one of them. So, you know, I, I try to, we try to advocate and I'm trying to hook up people with other people so that we can do roommate situations and share expenses and stuff. It, that also plays into the fact that hourly workers, mostly black and brown employees, do not get promoted. They just don't get promoted. They're not given interviews. Um, everybody in there in these buildings plays favorites. You have to be a young white male fresh out of college in order to get into a management position here. And it creates a huge us versus them situation in there because a lot of those kids are very spoiled, very racist, very sexist, and they're constantly targeting some of the best employees that Amazon has in there. You said you're one of them, so you've been, you're currently homeless working at Amazon? Currently am, yeah. I have been homeless for the past, what, two and a half, almost three years that I've been here now. And I haven't been able to afford a place. Um, none of my family's out here. It's just, it's mind boggling because the rest of the country is thinking, well, she's making more than minimum wage. How come she can't afford a place to live? Well, it's because there's no affordable rent out here and we don't make enough and we don't get promoted. I mean, I've been with the company since 2017. I have an AA degree. I've trained literally hundreds of people since I've been in Jersey and New York. And I've applied over a dozen times for positions at the next level, tier three. I can't even get an interview. So mm -hmm. obviously economic justice, Amazon corporate and tech workers, they were really struggling at $150,000 a year, had to boost them to $350,000 a year. Uh, Jeff Bezos, he's not wealthy enough. We have to dismantle historic bridges to get his super yacht through. And now I, I, I don't see the actual John and John and Jane worker at Amazon getting any boost uh, while the money, their, their hard-earned labor, more of it's going to. And by the way, I'm not saying like corporate and tech people are evil people. I'm sure they work hard. Uh, I'm not saying they're awful people at Amazon or elsewhere, but for them to get, Whatever that is, that's that's almost double the pay while Amazon workers yeah. are getting pittance. It's outrageous. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is but this is standard, though, right? If you can get a worker doing what she's doing, I'm speaking as a capitalist here, folks. I'm speaking as the man here, right? If you can get those kind of workers on the cheap, you're going to do it because what is that? That is capitalism. That is business 101. Whenever you can pay someone less, pay them less. And, and ultimately, the problem is the competition for the IT sector is a lot more steep. There's a lot more competition. So what do they have to do? They have to keep it in line with the competition. So they raise those prices up. This is why unions are so damn important. If, if you don't have that, you're not going to have anything because their, their goal is to always, always, always maximize profit. And you got no leg to stand on if you're in the path of the uh, the, the profit-making machine. You, you've got no chance. So you need a union. Got to have a union. But, you know, at least fuck the Bezos, by the way, with the, the bridge. I mean, sorry, excuse my French, but fuck Bezos, really. I mean, take your damn dinghy underneath the bridge. You don't need to take the goddamn yacht through there. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, at least we're building back better. <laughs> at least the economy is, at least the economy is booming. At least GDP is up. At least the stock market is doing wonderful. You know, 
because that's what I hear. So apparently the economy is booming if you're a tech or corporate worker at Amazon. I am glad to have uh, Georgia Fort 
Uh, she is an independent journalist out of Minneapolis. Uh, really impressive bio. So I'm going to read some of it here. Uh, Georgia Fort is a uh, Georgia Ford. Let me I can find it is a two time Emmy nominated journalist. She was one of two journalists in the courtroom for the sentencing of Derek Chauvin. Her reporting has been published on CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox and CBS. Uh, her mission as a storyteller is to change the narrative by amplifying truth citing diverse sources and contextualizing social justice issues. Georgia, I really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're all over the place covering the protests of uh, Amir Locke's murder. Uh, I wanted to just ask from a basic level, Amir Locke, who was 22 years old, sleeping on a couch, it was a no-knock warrant uh, that uh, a SWAT team bought, uh, rammed through the door, kicked the couch that he was sleeping in, by my viewing uh, the video, I mean, he was a legal gun owner, but I mean, it literally, it doesn't even look like he had time to even know what the hell was going on because right. it was early in the morning. Um, this is this happened less than two years after George Floyd. This happened, I believe, less than a year after Dante Wright. Can you kind of talk about, I mean, I, I guess it's a basic thing, but it just seems like it's deja vu over and over and over in Minneapolis and we're getting lip service, in my view, from the mayor, the police chief, and the usual suspects. Yeah, well, first of all, Jordan, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it has been a, a very tense time here in Minneapolis over the last week. Tomorrow will actually mark seven days since Amir Locke was fatally shot. And we've seen thousands of people out in the streets protesting, demanding that Officer Mark Hanneman be terminated from his position. In addition to that, the way that the interim police chief, Amelia Huffman and Mayor Fry have handled this police killing uh, now, communities demanding that they either be terminated or resign from their positions as well. And so the, the big question here, because we are in the center uh, or what was the epicenter for police accountability following the murder of George Floyd? The question everybody is asking is what's changed? You know, uh, at a moment when the entire world was watching, we know that there were international protests that happened after George Floyd was killed. And uh, the world was was looking to Minneapolis for two things. One, fundamental change. Uh, and then two, uh, a blueprint for a, a way forward with policing that would produce more equitable outcomes. And it, it appears that you look at not only Amir Locke, but Winston Smith, which didn't make national headlines. He was killed after Derek Chauvin was sentenced, but before Kim Potter's trial happened. Um, and so you have Winston Smith and you have Amir Locke and, and all of the other names that most people don't know uh, why does this keep happening? And, and what is being done um, from political leaders, from uh, those at the um, police department? What is being done to prevent this from happening again? And we have not gotten a serious answer to that question. And uh, even the, question, the answers we have gotten have proven to not be true because it keeps happening. Right. And another thing, I mean, let's not forget Breonna Taylor was a no-knock warrant. Uh, I've interviewed her aunts a few times in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the police originally lied about that. Uh, Minneapolis police originally lied about what happened with George Floyd. They said it was a medical incident. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but initially after Amir Locke was uh, murdered, 
Uh, I believe the interim police chief said they believe that he was pointing a gun at officers, even though the video, as far as I could tell, does not show that. Uh, and the other thing is, separate from the no-knock warrant, I mean, you look at that video. First of all, Amir Locke was not the subject of that search warrant. But B, they, they, barmed, they rammed through the door and immediately kicked the couch. And it's like their immediate thought is force. It, it's not, you know, kind of going in, you know, in a de-escalated fashion, not, you know, announcing yourself to be clear police so people will be able to get their get their kind of uh, uh, wits about them at early morning. So it seems like it's not just the no-knock warrant. It's the ap the absolute Rambo force they're using as they get in there because I think most people sleeping, it takes you a few seconds to kind of get your wits. You don't know who it is that's ramming into your home. That's right. Well, I think what, what I have observed in following uh, most of these killings and and the court proceedings that follow what i've i've observed is a culture that lacks transparency and a culture that lacks accountability within the minneapolis police department and the way that the department works together hand in hand with the media to perpetuate a narrative that is always almost always in their favor right immediately following and so what we have to start to do you know is uh, the, the folks who are defending these um, actions and um, these these deaths, we, how do we break through the noise and and get them to see that there's cover ups that are happening? Right. And, and I know for some people that feels like, you know, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. But we've watched this played out. I mean, the, the facts and the evidence are there. I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm looking for fact-based evidence to report on. You can go and Google that original press release about George Floyd. John Elder, the Minneapolis uh, Police Department's public information officer, put that press re release out where he said that George Floyd died from a medical complication. You saw the footage. We all saw the footage. We know that's not what happened. Uh, additionally, you watched the trial and you know that is not how the judge ruled on the case. So it was a lie. And what is the consequence for public officials who lie? Where is the accountability? And so I think that we have to truly start to examine not just when officers use fatal force and whether or not it's justified and whether or not they should be charged criminally. We also have to examine the standards and the, the um, process and the practice that follows these killings that, uh, that have allowed them to um, happen historically. And because now these things are coming to light, because now we have, at least here in Minneapolis, two public accounts of when the Minneapolis Police Department has lied, just blatantly lied, right? We have, that's documented, that now we should be questioning other cases that have happened in this city. And, and there should be a consideration, a serious consideration of reopening previous cases where the Minneapolis Police Department used fatal force. And I know other people in other cities will say the same thing is true in their city. And, and like you pointed to the example with Breonna Taylor. And so if this isn't just an isolated thing that's happening just in the Minneapolis Police Department, but we have reports and stories that are coming out of several 
uh, large cities across the country, then we have to start to admit as a nation that we have a, a national crisis here with public safety and policing that has to be addressed. Right. And I'd also want to point out beyond just the police, it, it's kind of, I mean, Minneapolis activists, residents, community members, they worked to ban no-knock warrants. And uh, and by the way, uh, Louisville activists did the same thing. So the question is, why are they still executing no-knock warrants? Uh, wh why was this executed? They say it was part of a, a separate homicide investigation. But what is the role if activists uh, are, are continually petitioning their local government, their state government uh, to ban these kind of, I mean, not that no knock warrants is the only problem here, but that's the mechanism they're using, but the police are still able to do that. Then it, it kind of, from a local community activist member, just a black person in Minneapolis, it must be hopeless and infuriating because they were pounding the pavement, getting signatures to get that on the ballot. Can you kind of talk about the no-knock warrant yeah. aspect of this? Well, I, I think it's devastating, to be honest with you. The, the criticism we hear about people who continuously protesting, uh, I mean, there is no shortage of criticism. Oh, you guys are just out there again. You know, protesting doesn't make a difference. Uh, why are you guys showing up at people's houses? These these are some of the responses that I hear from the public when I am just simply covering some of these protests, right? But the reality is I, I, I have observed more progress from people showing up and demanding change than I have from people organizing, knocking on doors, getting signatures. The, the truth of the matter is uh, George Floyd, and even if you look at with Dante Wright, okay, there were um, probably four or five protests that happened at Pete Orpitt's home, who was the county attorney who, who was originally assigned to um, charge and, and try Kim Potter. Well, he he had very low level charges. Protesters showed up at his home and showed up at his home and showed up at his home. And guess what happened? That case got handed off to the attorney general and there were more charges that were brought forth. That was a trial that was not going to be televised. But protesters showed up at the judge's home within 72 hours. She signed off on allowing the trial to be televised. So we have seen even with Mike Freeman, when he was um, deciding whether or not to charge the, the four officers involved in Floyd's death, you know, we have seen progress. We have seen people in positions of power take action as a result of people coming out and protesting. On the contrast to your point about policy change, the same, some of the same organizers and community leaders also did go and get more than 15,000 signatures on eight bills that they had drafted. And what we've heard from them is the bills that passed were watered down. And then a lot of them didn't, they didn't get the votes that were required. And so how can we have people who are in position of, of power, political leaders who influence policy, how, how can they in one breath say that they want change? They don't want to see another police precinct precinct burnt down. They don't want to see businesses destroyed. But then in the other breath, 
they're not listening to the people who are organizing on these issues. They're not listening to the families who have lost a loved one to police violence. They're not listening to organizations like Communities United Against Police Brutality, which has been researching and collecting data on uh, police uses of, of fatal force for more than 20 years. Both things cannot be true. If, if you really want change, you're gonna have to work together with the people who are leading on this issue. And we have not seen that happen. The last thing I'll add to wrap this up, because I know I've said a lot on this, but it's very important. Um, people are losing their lives, right? If we reflect back on the civil rights era, you'll see that even when America did have policy change, even when um, segregation was outlawed, it still took years before integration actually happened. And so I am I'm reflecting on those times because they're very parallel to what we're experiencing today. And so I think that even though it's it's been about two years almost since George Floyd was killed, I think that we still have a long journey before we actually see change in this country. So Jeff Zucker recently resigned from CNN very abruptly. Uh, it came out that he was having a, a consensual affair. So, no, you know, whatever. He was having an affair with his number two executive. So he was the president of CEO. He was having an affair, I guess, with the vice president of marketing. Um, you know, it doesn't seem to be like too much of a power difference because she was his number two. Uh, it's not like he was having an affair with like a, a low level person. Anyway, I don't really give a shit that he was having an affair with this woman. Doesn't matter to me. But it's come out that his resignation, although it's been depicted as because he had an affair with <laughs> a subordinate and didn't report it, because I guess Warner Media, who is the parent company, uh, their policy is you have to report if you're in a romantic relationship with a subordinate or whatever. Let's read this. This is from the New York Post. Yes, it's from the New York Post, but uh, others have reported this too. What Jeff Zucker's resignation could mean for Chris, Cromo Chris Cuomo's potential CNN payout. Chris Cuomo isn't likely to get much more than half of the 18 million he's seeking as a settlement. Oh, poor baby. Only half of the 18 million uh, he's seeking as a settlement in his feud with CNN. Now that Jeff Zucker has resigned, Zucker fell on his own sword in an effort to keep a possible Cuomo lawsuit against CNN from seeing the light of day. Sources have told the New York Post. The ex-CNN oh. chief was named multiple times in a draft of a suit, which hasn't been filed. So again, Chris Cuomo, who's out for bloody murder, he was fired from uh, CNN for basically working for his <laughs> disgraced governor brother while pretending to be a journalist on TV. So he got fired from CNN and he's going for his full contract, which is 18 million. So here, the New York Post is reporting and others have reported this too, that Jeff uh, Zucker really resigned to avoid this lawsuit for being filed, which might have shown even worse things. Zucker's resignation came as part of an agreement hammered out with AT&T chief John Stanky, sources say. AT&T owns John Time Stanky. Warner and CNN. Yes. <laughs> Under the agreement, Zucker would leave CNN without a, without a fight and Stanky would settle with Cuomo, sources said. That way, Cuomo's potentially damaging additional accusations about Zucker would be kept from the public, these sources say. Well, what could those additional accusations be? According to an earlier report from the Post, Zucker and Allison Golust, that's the uh, vice president of marketing that he was having an affair with, 
uh, the colleague with whom he is romantically involved, had an ethically dubious relationship with former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Zucker and Golist would coach Governor Cuomo on his now infamous COVID briefings, telling him what to say and how to respond to criticisms <laughs> from President Donald Trump to make more compelling television. There's the cover-up. So to be clear, Allison Golist, who is apparently Jeff Zucker's whatever, girlfriend, I don't know, uh, she before she before she came to CNN, she was a, a major, I, I think his spokesperson. So she worked for Governor Cuomo. So she goes from Governor Cuomo to Chris Cuomo or CNN. And apparently Zucker, the CNN president and his girlfriend were basically as the heads of a news outlet. Working with Governor Cuomo to do his little covid briefings. Kind of a conflict of interest, Steve, if soon after Governor Cuomo was doing his made-for-TV COVID briefings, and I lived in New York City at the time, it was must-see TV. I, I thought they were fairly informative, but the media was slobbering all over Andrew Cuomo. Remember, they were they were praying that Biden would drop out and maybe Cuomo could step into the Democratic primary. Um, you the Cuomo but, sexuals. <laughs> right. But Steve, it would be very interesting if if – Zucker and Allison Golis, so CNN, was working with Governor Cuomo for his press his press conferences because wouldn't that kind of show you, wouldn't that kind of indicate maybe there's a reason CNN didn't want to cover the fact that Governor Cuomo was covering up the amount of seniors who died in nursing homes? Wouldn't it be kind of indicative if they were basically doing PR for a government official, Andrew Cuomo, why CNN would have Andrew Cuomo on to pal around with Chris Cuomo. Remember that uh, that graphic where Chris Cuomo put the giant to uh, nose thing up his brother's nose as Andrew Cuomo was literally sending seniors sick with COVID back to nursing homes. It came out after the fact they, they undercounted the amount of deaths in the nursing homes, I think by half or 50%. I don't know. Is it a cover up like a police cover up? No, but is it a cover up of, it kind of exposes that our mainstream media, the most trusted name in news, are basically doing PR for government officials. <laughs> the Clinton News Network is alive and well. I mean, the, as you're reading that, it reminded me of you on the floor of the DNC with Donna Brazil, a, a much smaller, much non-death oriented thing, but the same exact thing. They, <laughs> I, I'm pulling for Chris Cuomo now. I want Chris Cuomo to bring hell from above. I want, I'm going to be rooting for Chris Cuomo to make these guys have to out all the bullshit in the background now, because this has got to be a juicier story. There is, it's just like the iceberg, right? There's this huge story beneath the water and there's, we're just getting this little teeny tip and he's just resigning. I, I I'm praying Chris Cuomo gets really ballsy and really pushes forward for this. That would be absolutely, I I'd actually tune in to mainstream media for a minute to watch them try to do that theater. I think that would be worth the price of price of admission. But I want to be clear about something, Steve, because we're having fun. But if oh, Jeff Zuck, if Jeff Zucker, if Jeff Zucker and uh, Allison Golis, the vice president, whatever, they're having an affair. If they were briefing with Governor Cuomo before his press conferences, what other government officials are they talking to? Whatever, what, mm -hmm. what other corporate CEOs are they talking to? 
Who else are they yep. palling around with that they're supposed to be holding accountable? To be fair, it's not just them. I mean, MSNBC, same shit, different day. Morning Joe basically hangs out with politicians like Joe and Mika. They're not holding anyone accountable. They're all friends with the same uh, government, the same politicians, corporate CEOs. They're they're trying to have. Remember, Chris Christie was lying about lying about the bridge. Joe and Joe and uh, Mika had him on palling around. So, but this is a major problem because we are we are in a never ending information war. Information war, and this kind of drops the yeah. curtain. Who else are our journalists basically colluding with? To deprive us of real information, to deprive us of cover-ups, to deprive us of name your pick of what they're covering up. Laney Riefenstahl is blushing right now. Let's just leave it at that. Laney Riefenstahl is blushing. This is literally propaganda. I mean, you realize there's like a, a wall. There is a true balkanization of us and them. And that is one big fat corporation you got it right when you talk about the united corporations of america this right here is the pr department there is the uh fake legislative department there is the fake judicial department there is the fake all these things it's all one big schadenfreude that means fake bullshit that is out there right now and and like i i've been saying this i, I and it gets a little bit more each time we talk but i'm at a point now where watching some of this stuff unroll it really is like the truman show it's it's like just bullshit i mean it's it's almost impossible to take some of these stories seriously anymore because you know the only reason why it's even coming to light is because somebody told on somebody or or somebody got thrown under the bus they were the patsy and they said ah, i'm not gonna fall for you all that's the only reason why you hear about it i mean it, it is just complete theater I, it, it right it's, it's by worse the way, than reality tv there, there's multiple red flags here and crimes of journalism number one chris cuomo was making 18 million dollars to be a fucking pr stooge for his brother on cnn and to hold them <laughs> accountable when he did no such thing yep. that's number one these people make obscene money to basically lie to you to basically push bullshit narratives and, and, and on and on we go Number two, number two, again, I don't think it's a small thing. Why would Jeff Zucker, like literally, why would Jeff Zucker resign because he was having a consensual affair? I mean, uh, I poo-poo, it, it, you didn't report it that you were having it. You didn't report that you were having a romantic relationship. But we're talking multi-million, we're, we're talking about multi-million millionaires here. Jeff Zucker being president, that is financially lucrative for a lot of people. A uh, president of CNN, I mean, uh, Chris Wallace from Fox News is reportedly irate because he left Fox to go to CNN's little streaming platform for Zucker. So it never made sense to me. Why is he resigning? Because he had an affair, a consensual affair with somebody at work. All right. You know, pay, you know, one week suspension for not reporting it. So when you look underneath the hood, it makes sense. No, no, he probably he probably resigned to avoid any of that lawsuit from going to court uh we need to expand that's period end of story we need to expand and as a result the way to expand is through you we don't take any money from big banks we don't take any money from fossil fuel companies we don't take any money from democratic or republican party donors big pharma big real estate silicon valley our our funding is from you to be honest with you 
it's really been tough. Uh, it's, it's getting tougher and tougher for me because I don't have an administrative assistant. I don't have a producer. Uh, we have some help in terms of marketing, but we could use more help in terms of marketing. And we'd like to hire other hosts. Uh, unfortunately, there's just too much on me and it's not sustainable for me to be reporting, handling administrative stuff, handling logistics, handling booking guests, handling producing segments, handling a whole lot of other stuff that I don't want to bore you with. So please, if it's within your means, you could become a member for as low as $5 a month. That's 16 cents a day, five, $5 a month. We have other plants. You could become a member for $10 a month. You could become a member for $20 a month. Uh, we also have an annual level where you could become a member for $179 annually. As a member, you're not only supporting us, but we do a monthly Zoom call with our members. Uh, we also do uh, uh, behind the scenes videos just for members. And uh, we have a members only Discord channel. So please, please, if you can, if you can, please sign up. Please sign up um, as a status quo member. It really, really makes a big difference. If we could keep signing up, you know, five to 10 people a day, five to 10 people a day, it, that will allow us to bring on at least one more person in the short term. Uh, we we kind of have had like highs where we, you know, hit a good streak, particularly when I've been on the ground, uh, where if I get on a bigger show, like I was on with Crystal and Kyle a couple months ago when I was on the road covering the John Deere strikes, covering the Buffalo uh, Starbucks workers union drive, covering India Walton's election. Uh, when I was able to get on a bigger show, we got like 60 to 70 new members in just a few days. Most recently, when I broke the Flint water cover-up story uh, in The Guardian, and I was able to get on a bunch of bigger shows, we were able to get over 100 new paid member signups. So we're getting new members all in big chunks, but then when those kind of big hits are over, whether I'm on the ground or the Flint story, it kind of goes back to you know here and there, getting a couple of day this and that. We really need to start getting as many members as possible every single day. And I'm going to ask you straight up and I'm not beyond begging. Uh, what is $5 a month worth to you? What is $10 a month worth to you? Because I'm telling you right now, we, I'm just being honest. We have had to slow down. We have had to slow down on the ground reporting because we, we only have so much money. So I got to pay Colin. <laughs> I need to make something. Uh, we brought on, uh, two freelancers to help with marketing, analytics, kind of getting more traction to the YouTube channel, because obviously you've seen we've been dealing with suppression for years. <laughs> so we're, try we're trying new things to get more eyeballs and traction to the YouTube channel. Uh, but we're, we're kind of at a point now where I'm just being honest, we're kind of breaking even in terms of how much our overhead is per month versus how much we're taking in. And that's breaking even before talking about three to $4,000 for a trip. Cause just any trip to go anywhere at a basic level for a week or so costs three to $4,000 and that's on the cheap. And as I told you, we are currently while trying to grow new members because we don't have enough members and enough re revenue, we've had to cut back on some areas. So we've had, we haven't sent out the text message, for example, uh, we've kind of paused our text message service, which is almost $400 a month. Uh, because you know we're just trying to cut areas that we don't absolutely need. The text, the text service helps because it goes to people on our text message list. So when we go live, they get a text message. But 
we're trying different things. We're trying to see how big of a difference does not texting make in terms of audience. It's definitely making a little bit of a difference in terms of less of an audience because not everybody's getting notified. You, I'm not gonna lie to you. It it does get does get a little disheartening sometimes when you see, um, you know, just all these YouTube channels that are covering, uh, shall we say, more uh, fluffy things, <laughs> uh, maybe more hot take or reactionary things. Uh, and they're, you know, they're getting a ton of views because that's what YouTube rewards, you know, more of this reactionary hot take kind of stuff, um, where we're covering workers being fired, uh, Amir Lurk, Amir Locke being executed by police. Uh, when we're breaking stories like the Amazon, um, union busting, the video that we just broke yesterday, all these places that we went, I would say nine out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, there was no other media on the ground covering it. The activists that I spoke to, community members, residents that I spoke to, literally told me we can't even get local media in these places to cover it. I'm talking, I'm talking uh, police protests, couldn't get local media out. I'm talking uh, fights against pipelines. They couldn't even get their local media to come out. I'm talking exploding homelessness, mass evictions, Breonna Taylor's uh, murder cover-up. Of course, the Flint water cover-up. Couldn't even get local media to cover it. So it's not just that we cover these things. It's there are so few others covering it. So if if we cease to exist, not that I, I, I don't mean that we're so amazing, but if we cease to exist, I got news for you. We're in deeper trouble than we already are. We're in much deeper trouble than we already are if status quo didn't exist. Because can, can you name a long list of independent outlets going out and still covering Flint? Going out to the Amazon warehouse and covering the union busting and the worker, the worker organized, the union organizing campaign, going to Iowa and Illinois covering the John Deere strikes on, on the ground. 